in the world in which we live. You see, that's the story that we're looking at. Let's enter into this story and begin to understand and unpack and feel the loss and enter into the losses that we've experienced that we might have hope in Jesus. Because until you fully enter into that place of the grave, you can't fully enter into the place of light and resurrection. And sometimes, I don't know about you, I'm like, mm, let's just get rid of the grave and go straight and, and, and go to the next step. But it is because of the grave. It is because of our brokenness. It is because of the things in our lives where we are just destitute and it's dark and we feel like God doesn't care that the sweetness of the resurrected power in our lives is remarkable. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for the likes of us, that while we were yet sinners, you came and you brought salvation. Thank you, God, for this time as we begin to examine the loss of the friend, as we begin to look at the, the I am, that you are the resurrection and the life. Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would lead and guide this teaching in Jesus' name. Amen. I have to begin with this. It doesn't fit anywhere in the teaching, okay? So I've tried to fit it in every way that I could, but I thought it was too funny not to share. A friend in this class gave it to me. It says, I didn't say it was your fault. I said I was going to blame you. Can you, can, can, all right, can you get a picture of that so everybody streaming can see it? I didn't say it was your fault. I said I was going to blame you. And actually, I can think of a tie-in when I think about that a little bit in just a moment. I love that. Do we not do that a lot? I gave the leadership team an exercise this week, and it was very specific to this teaching. And the question I asked them is, what do you have on life support that needs to die? Job? Relationship? financial stuff, you fill in the blanks. What do you have on life support that needs to die? And, or, what do you have on the back burner of your life that God is speaking to you, and you know it, you're just back burnering it, that needs to come forth and come onto the front burner and blaze like a fire? So that's part of the question that we're going to look at because the truth is that there are some things we need to lay down and let die. And it may be um, love for wealth or riches, or it may be embracing the situation you're in. It may be a relationship. There's all sorts of things that might need to die in order to be resurrected. And so we want to understand this in context of entering into the story. This is a magnificent story of a man that was dead in the tomb for four days and he rose. And it, we could leave it right there. Or it can be a teaching where you enter in and you begin to look at the things in your life that need to be resurrected and those things that need to die. And so that's how I want us to frame this this morning. What is it that you have on life support and what do you, or what do you need to bring forward, let the Spirit bring forward, and let Him begin to light and ignite new life into that thing? You know, I had some roses that I planted last year, and the roses were so puny looking. They were just these little barely things, and I was so sick of them by the end of the season that the lady that helps me in the garden, she, you know, I just said, let's just pull them out. Let's just take them out, 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 because they're just not doing and performing like I want them to. I want to, you know, have these pretty things. 
And she said, would you be willing to leave them in the ground one more year to see what would happen? And let's cut them back. And I have to tell you, just yesterday I went out there and actually there's like big fat buds on them. You know, it was the thing that I wanted to kill that God wanted to bring and burst forth new life. What is it that God is doing in terms of pruning your life in order to bring you new, fresh, abundant life? These are all questions that have been rolling around in my head. As I began to think about back burnering and about front burning and all those things, I remember I was thinking to myself, uh, last night I was going to bed and I said to my husband, I said, you know, I just want to be a good grandmother. I had my granddaughter all day yesterday. Actually, what happened is my daughter forgot her in school the day before, and it was like 6 o'clock before, and she was on the phone with me, and she got home, and she goes, oops, I left number 8 at school. (laughs) And my heart was just pounding for this poor little child. And so yesterday, I made space to get her at noon so that she could have some attention. (laughs) And in that, um, I was telling my husband, I said, you know, I want to be a good grandmother. I want to be a good daughter. I want to be, you know, a good friend. I, I, you know, I have so many things in my life, and I feel like I'm failing at all of them. Any of you ever feel that way? Women, right? It's women. And so I'm thinking about these things, and I go through, and Blunt goes, one, you know, his name is Blunt for a reason. One, two, three. Wants to be a good wife, wants to be a good daughter, wants to be a good, you know, friend. He goes, ah, I don't hear my name on that list. (laughs) That needed to come to the front burner, folks. (laughs) I asked my granddaughter yesterday, I said, this lesson is just not coming together. It's, my most, it's one of my favorite scriptures. What is it? And I'm talking out loud in the car, you know, and she's back there just listening to me. I said, I'm just, oh, Yaya's just trying to birth something. And she goes, oh, I don't see any babies coming out. I said, well, I said do, you, do you have, like, do you have the word of the Lord? She looks at me like, huh? You me, I said, is there anything that God's, you know, the Lord is so close to these little folks. I mean, they just, they have this communication that we, our walls, right? We just have all this intellectual stuff going on and, you know, all that stuff that blocks the spirit from, from us hearing. Our ears get blocked up, but not these little folks. They hear it. They hear what Jesus says. They hear the Holy Spirit. Bam, they say it. And so I'm, I'm asking her, you know, is there anything you're hearing? Is there anything you're doing? And she shook her head and she said, no, I'm just trying to be really good for you today. <laughs> I'm going to ask you another question. I believe that this is the week of questions. And I believe if you are going to be a student of the Word and you're going to allow the Word to read you, you and I need to ask serious questions of God. We need to ask the questions, what's on the back burner? What needs to go in the front? What am I doing? What do you mean in the Scripture? I'm confused. We need to be Martha. And we need to get there and ask the questions. Because God loves our questions. He loves the the idea that we want to draw near to him and pull out the answers. And so, here's another question for you. And I clearly felt like God spoke this to me yesterday. How much of the resurrection do you really want? Write that down. How much of the resurrection do you really want? Do you want to be half alive or half dead? 
That's your choice. Do you want to be fully alive or all dead? That's another choice. How much of the resurrection do you really want? I'm going to tell you, that thing ate me alive yesterday. I mean, I stewed over it. I thought, Lord, I know you're speaking to me. You always made a promise that you wouldn't let me stand up here until you have, I have lived that word inside of me. And that word began to birth something in me. How much, Joanne, of God do you really want? How much of his life do you really want? Do you want to keep one foot in the world and one foot over here? Enough of Jesus to kind of be inoculated, love Jesus, get to heaven, have my ticket stamped, but not enough to be radical and crazy and for, to have to really get out in the world and tell people about Jesus and or, even better, to have to live Jesus in my family, in your jobs, in your relationships. How much of the resurrection do we really want? That is a question I want to pose to you today. Irenaeus said that the glory of God, St. Irenaeus, the glory of God is a man fully alive. Now, literally, that means that when you meet Christ, he ignites your spirit. He joins with you. The spirit comes to dwell within you. You have eternal life. You're going to be with him forever. It does light up. You're transformed from darkness into light. But I want to add to that in that a person that is fully alive is lit up by Christ in us, the hope of glory, but living fully into the life of Christ that he's given us. Our purpose, our destiny in our families, fully alive. Not one foot in and one foot out. Immersed, completely, abiding in the vine, transformed by the power of Christ, changed and transfigured in our homes. You know, I was thinking this morning, isn't there a toy that just sort of, it's called a glowing toy? Isn't there something like that? Maybe I'm making it up. Well, I think I saw one of those glow-in-the-dark toys. Maybe my kids had them as, as, you know, when they were children. But a glow-in-the-dark toy. We, people of God, we should be that person that goes into the dark places and we glow. And we can only do that if we're fully alive. Otherwise, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Sing it. This little light of mine. I don't even know it. I'm going to... Let it all, all the time. We, <laughs> that was beautiful. What do you think, Juliana? Did we hit it? <laughs> Look at her. She's like, worship lessons. Y'all, we have a choice. We can glow like, it was a glow bug. That's what it was. It was a glow bug. We can glow or we can be sort of kind of like a little tiny light. How much of the resurrection and the life of Christ do you really want to glow within you? It isn't something you can drum up. It isn't something you can say, today I'm going to glow for Jesus. It doesn't work that way. It's, it's sort of like Anna Parker saying, I'm trying so hard to be good. We can't be good enough. We can't glow enough. We can't do anything. What we can do is we can live fully in to Jesus, surrender, and say, God, you got this. Shine through me. We can't even do that. We just have to surrender. And his life within us will do all the rest. I was reading this morning. This lesson was um, birthed, honestly, 
in, in difficulty. You know, it was, there were so many pieces and moving parts to it. And this morning I got up and I just got on my face before the Lord and I said, we know the story of Lazarus. It's an amazing story. We know how Mary responded. We know how Martha responded. We just, I want to take this thing deeper. I want us to enter in in ways that we've never done before. And I was drawn as I was praying and I got up from my prayer time by a book called Man's Search for Me meaning by Viktor Frankl. And he was a psychotherapist. And as I glanced through it, I realized that God was speaking to me. Now, he was a man that had been um, imprisoned and beaten and tortured. And, and we, we begin to see in his story a man that had to figure out what to do with life. Where was the significance? Now, he went in a totally different direction. He didn't go in the direction in which I'm speaking in terms of Christ and us, the hope of glory, glorifying and giving our life significance. But folks, every single person sitting in this room and watching by streaming is asking the question, what is my life worth? Where is my significance? What is my destiny? Am I living fully into the purposes? What am I doing? Or am I flat? Am I lukewarm? Am I just going through the motions of life? I come to the Bible study and I go to church and it's, it's just a little dabble, do you? Just enough of a light for me to glow a little bit. Y'all, that is not the life we are called to. We are called to so much more. We are called to take the hard, difficult roads that we're in. The rebellious teenagers. I can talk about that all day long. The, the things in our lives that are so difficult. The stresses of life. That's why I love teaching. Because I love for you to see my messy life. Because in it, I think it gives you hope. They're like, thank God my life isn't her life, like her life. I hope it gives you a platform at which to see that God can do extraordinary things through very ordinary situations and people. And so as we begin to, to look at that, how much of the resurrection do you really want? I was thinking about the man's search for meaning. We're all looking, y'all. Everybody is looking for something, and they don't realize it's a someone. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection. I am the one who will light up your world in the midst of your trials and your sufferings, in the midst of the good, in the midst of the dark, in the midst of the light, I am the same. The only thing that changes is your circumstances and your reaction. I'm not going anywhere, and I'm the same yesterday, today. And then I caught my attention, The Life and Power in the Blood, a very, very old book. Any of you ever read that book? Really old book. Shows how old I am. And I reviewed the story about Jonathan and David. Jonathan and David became blood brothers. Now I want you to think of this and frame this lesson in terms of the covenant. Because there's an old covenant, the Old Testament means covenant, and there's a new covenant. We are under now the covenant of grace. The Old Testament was under the cover of law. And we see this always in the Bible, you will see in the natural a spiritual implication. And so what we see in this lesson is we see that God wanted, there was a covenant that was in the making, and there's King Saul of Israel, and then there's David who ultimately became king. They could not be in covenant because one had turned Saul from God, and one had turned 
to God, David. So they could not be in covenant together. So God took Saul's son who loved God and united Jonathan, the son of Saul, and David together. Jonathan, they cut covenant. Now I'm telling you this because it will frame for you this lesson. Doesn't seem like it makes sense. Certainly didn't to me this morning when I was going through it. But it makes good sense because the only way we can fully enter into the resurrected life is we've got to fully enter into the blood covenant of what Christ has done for us. Because otherwise, we're going to have one foot in the world of works and works and one foot over here with grace. And we've got to fully enter into the new covenant. And so what we have a picture of the covenant is we have Jonathan and David coming together as blood brothers. And basically what happened is Jonathan gave David his sword, his bow, his outer garment, his coat, and his garments. And it indicated by a natural act, I am giving you everything I have as the son's king. And David, in turn, offered back to Jonathan. And together, they became, they cut the covenant by cutting sometimes their wrists or their finger, and they mixed the blood together. They were joined together as blood brothers. Jesus Christ came to become our blood brother. When you accepted him, he came into your life, he cut himself on the cross, and he mingled your blood with his in covenant. And because of that covenant, you are able to fully enter into his new life. And here's the problem. We can't seem to get there because we don't understand the true significance of the new covenant. The covenant that is by grace, not by works, by faith, by entering in, we don't have to do anything. We, as Christians, have our blood mingled. Jesus has applied his blood to us, and we are one. You all, it's a much simpler gospel than we make it out to be. No shoulds, no oughts. He is simply the great I am. He is the truth, the way, and the truth, and the life. He is the resurrection that causes us to glow. Now, what's so interesting about this story is that as Jesus got closer to the cross, what did the counterfeit do? The Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, everybody's getting the chief priests. They're really getting antsy. They're getting angry. And the closer he came, and finally he does this miracle, and he claims to be the resurrection. And they're like, whoa. Now, listen to this play on words. Resurrection means bring to life again. Insurrection means rising up against authority. Folks, whenever you see God rising as the bright morning star, whenever you see God moving in resurrection life in your life, whenever you begin to see yourself coming out of the ashes and moving fully enter entering into the new covenant and into this relationship fully alive, not just partial, the counterfeit comes in over here. And rebellion and authority against the work of the Spirit happens. Insurrection. The Pharisees said, we've got to stop this man who is the resurrection. The question at hand is, if you're not fully alive and you're not fully in here, or is there an area of your life that is not is dying is there an area of life because you're in rebellion against God maybe it's the call on your life maybe it's what you've done in your household maybe it's some hidden sin or outward sin I don't know what it is but if you're either here walking towards 
the real deal, walking towards the resurrection fully alive, or you're operating in agreement with the counterfeit and insurrection. And what did the Jews say, the chief priests? Get rid of the resurrection. Get rid of the life. What does the enemy say to you and I? No more life in Christ. You can't glow like this. The world needs the likes of them. Lighten it. Tamp it down. So they begin to have you over here in this area where you're in rebellion against Christ, the work, and you don't even know it. So that is why it is so significant for us to ask that question. How much of the resurrection do you want? And the reason it is is because the only way we can get into this mode and out of agreement in insurrection, rebellion, etc., is to repent. To go back to the penthouse of thinking, to go back to Christ every single day, to go to him and say, you died for this stuff that I'm doing over here. Please forgive me. And the light bulb begins to brighten. Y'all with me? This is deep. I want to set this up with a slide one, John 10, if you'll open up your scriptures to one through five. That was all the preamble. <laughs> I kind of get tickled with myself up here. I think, golly, what am I doing? <laughs> truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens and the sheep hears voice. He calls the sheep by name, leads them out. And when he's brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. Why do they follow him? For they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. Why am I sharing that with you this morning? Because in our study guide, that was not even in our study guide, but it is so incredibly significant leading into chapter 11 where Jesus says, I am the resurrection. I am life. You have to first understand the framework in which Jesus came into raising Lazarus from the dead. You can take that down. Maybe it was already gone. I am the good shepherd. So I want, to, um, I want us to look at this a little bit because it's really significant. You see, the Jews were looking, and we've talked about this before, for a king and for a revolt. Now listen to this. Think about what I just said a minute ago about the insurrection. The Jews were looking for someone to come. The Roman, the Roman um, authorities were taking over. They were harsh. They were hard. They were colonizing everything. And we have this situation where the Jewish people were enslaved and struggling and their Jewish faith and et cetera were being marginalized. And so what we have going on here is we have, they're looking for some king coming on a white horse and bringing his big mega army to get rid of these Roman people that are taking over their world as they know it, their religious system, etc. You see, that's not what scripture taught. Jesus says you have to believe, you have to open your eyes, you have to see. And in the Old Testament, it was very clear that the Messiah would be a shepherd, not a king on a, shore, a big horse with a big army, that he would be the suffering servant, three S's, if you want to take this down. He was going to come as the shepherd. He was going to come as the suffering service, number two, servant. And he was going to come solo with no army. You see, they couldn't believe. Now listen, this is a good point here. They couldn't believe that Jesus was the resurrection and the Messiah and the Son of God because they were over here in their insurrection mode 
And they did not even dig deeper to recognize and see that he wasn't going to come in the way they expected him. And so, is Jesus coming in ways that you don't see? Are you over here in this mode where you're in perhaps in an insurrection, rebellious, whatever, so that you don't see the shepherd and the suffering servant? So if you miss that in the way that he came, it's certainly hard to, to, it's easy to miss him in the next story, in the next frame that John puts together in this movie of the gospel of John. He said, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd took care of his sheep. He'd go up and give them the best grass. He'd take them to streams of living water. Those wandering sheep, he'd go after the one and leave the 99. If they ended up in a rut upside down with gas in their belly, he'd go looking for that one sheep. Where is he? And he'd pick him up and turn him over so that the gas could subside so that the little sheep would live. This is the shepherd that they missed. He had a rod and he had a staff. All of that is in chapter 10. And then we see that in this text, go back and read it. You should be reading through all of John. Jesus is the door. You see, in the villages and towns, there'd be an enclosed building, and they'd have a door in it, and they'd put all the sheep together from different sheepfolds. It would be all together in one, and there'd be a big door, and they'd bolt it. But in the open fields, there would be situations where there were no doors. It would be an enclosed hillside, and the shepherd would lie across so that the sheep, he actually became the door. Jesus said, I am the door. And those who come, so after saying all this, he's, they begin to pick up stones and say to him, what are you talking about? He says, the father and I are one, and I am the doorway to the, to the flock and to the sheep. And they, this is all the setting. They were already, these people were already, the chief priests were already so, so upset, angry, and ready to kill him. And the chief priest, Caiaphas, says, better to let one man die, this Jesus, than to have an insurrection. Do you see where we're going? And Jesus plows right through, and he raises Lazarus from the dead. He ends the revolt, and he brings forth an uprising of new creation and creatures in him that as we believe in his name, we rise to eternal life. As we agree that he is who he says he is, and we are who he says we are, we begin to believe. And that was the question that Martha had to engage in. And she said, yes, I believe. Jesus and the disciples leave Jerusalem. And they, let's take a look at this next slide, actually. This will be very helpful. Jesus and the disciples, you see on the right-hand part of the screen, do you see Bethany? Everybody see Bethany? And then do you see Bethany on the lower left again? There were two Bethanies, and some people don't really realize that, that the one on the left near Jerusalem is the one where Lazarus was. But what had happened is that Jesus... And at this point in time, had gone down on the roadway up to Jericho. Do you see where Jericho is? Up in, I don't have my pointer up here with me. But Jericho was right there. And so they were near the River Jordan where John the Baptist had baptized. So they were there, 18 miles away, uh, a journey away, when they begin to discover what is going on when they get the message that their, his friend Lazarus was very ill, and yet they waited. That's a long ways to go to get to this other Bethany to be with his friends, the friends he loved, 
Martha and Mary and Lazarus now very ill. And he waited. And then he made that long journey until we get and understand that it took, because see, actually, yeah, it's about 18 miles and about two miles from Jerusalem to the Bethany where Lazarus was. You can take that down. So we see um, at the beginning of 30 AD, that's when Jesus receives this word about the death. He makes the decision to go. Look with me, if you will, at John chapter 11. We do. Do we have a slide for that? I think we do. Yeah. Now a certain man was ill. Lazarus of Bethany. Let me look at it in here. 11, 1 through 3. Now a certain man was ill. Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet and her hair. These were people that loved Jesus and he didn't come. What's up with this? And we see, Lord, he whom you love is ill. And Jesus hears it. The illness does not lead to death. And he begins to explain to his disciples, he's just asleep. You see, and that language was used quite a bit in those days. Now, the disciples are like basically going to sleep, you know, actually meant death. And so it was just all these, these different words that are used. But here's the thing in John 11. He says, so the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, those whom you love are ill. But when Jesus heard it, this illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified. Now, Jesus loved Martha and his sister Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stays two days longer. You can take that down. You love someone and yet you wait? How peculiar is this? And then Jesus begins this dialogue with his disciples. And, they, and then, now I'm in verse 7 of chapter 11. He says to his disciples, let's go to Judea again. And the disciple says to him, Rabbi, you don't want to go back to Jerusalem. They're way over in this other Bethany. Let's not go. That's where they're trying to kill you. Jesus had a purpose and a vision and a mission, and he would not be deterred. He said, listen, are there not 12 hours in the day? You see that in um, right about verse 8. Are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he doesn't stumble. And he goes into this whole thing. He is the light of the world. You know, there were no street lights in those days. And so it was pretty dark, and they understood it. But they also didn't want him to go back near Jerusalem where he would be killed. Y'all, you have a purpose. You have a destiny. And sometimes you've got to go walk straight into the den of wolves in order to meet where God has you. Sometimes it is so painful to birth it. Sometimes it's so difficult to go to that place of resurrection unless you die first in order to be resurrected into new life, into your purpose and your destiny. Jesus says there's enough hours in the day Let's go do it. And you know, I have to tell you, there are 12 hours in a day for us. We must not waste every single moment. Jesus says he's the light of the world. He said, I'll light up the way. I'll go through the difficulties because I will light the way. And he does that for us. We see in our text for today in John eleven seventeen that big question, why did he wait? He had a safe haven with these women and Lazarus. He loved them. They offered him a place to lay his head. He had nowhere to lay. He was an itinerant rabbi, preacher, teacher, Messiah. Now listen, he went to other people. He jetted over to Bethesda and healed the blind man. He went over here and he purposefully went to the woman at Samaria. He heard his daddy say, go. This time, the instructions were wait. 
Lazarus' name means God is my help. I want you to write this down. Jesus is always moved with compassion, but his compassion is filled with purpose. This is for some of you today. You have a gift of mercy that is overactive. If the gift of mercy is overactive in the natural, then you're just helping the whole universe over here, and you may not even be called to do all that, and you burn out. But if you have the gift of mercy and you're led by the Spirit, then the gift of mercy comes over to that place where the Holy Spirit tells you where to go. And it's anointed and there's fire and God comes on it and it burns and the purposes of God are met. We have to be about in our 12 hours, not stumbling. We have to be walking according to the purpose of God, particularly in this hour. In this hour, when things seem so chaotic, we have to have a mission, we have to have a vision, and we need to be lit up with the resurrected Christ to do it. Jesus had compassion, but compassion filled with purpose and direction. Be careful, women of God. This is where we stumble, particularly as women, is we multitask well, and we end up doing too much in the natural that we were never called to do. How much of the resurrection do you really want in your life? Either that, you're operating in the spirit, or you're operating in the natural, or half and half. How much? Where is the higher purpose that you're called to? I had a wonderful um, note, I hope I can find it in here, from, um, ah, from someone that wrote about Martha and Mary. And here's what she wrote. It's in the story, it's hard not to compare Mary's reactions and Martha's actions. It's hard not to think that Jesus might have had more affection for one or the other, but I believe he loves them the same. He knows their inner and out self and their personalities. He knows the kind of love and grace-filled words that they need to hear at a moment when their world seems dark. He's the light in the darkness in the story. He knew how to speak to Mary and he knew how to speak Martha's language. Don't despise yourself if you're a Martha or a Mary. He uniquely speaks to you as the light of the world. He brings resurrection life to you wherever you are. He loves Martha and Mary. And we see the interchanges are quite different. Mary reflective. Now why did he wait? We understand it was for the glory of God to reveal the deeper truth that he's the resurrection, to point to the cross where he'd be glorified, to wait to make sure Lazarus was really, really, really dead. Any of y'all ever seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail? That's my husband's favorite movie. You can see where his wit is. And there's a scene in there where they're picking up all the dead people off the street. It's all, you know, kind of slapstick. And they're picking him up, and he throws this man on his back, and he says, I think he's dead. And they put him on his back, and the guy says, I'm not dead. I'm not dead. I'm fully alive. Look, I'm alive. I'm alive. Put him in the funeral pile. You see, God wanted, Jesus wanted some of y'all think I'm just crazy. <laughs> I do too. Jesus wanted to be sure that he was fully dead so that when he rose him to life, raised him up to life, it would be spectacular. And here's, Jelani, come up. Here's what I want you to your take home. Every crisis in your life is an opportunity for you to move from darkness to light. 
Every crisis in your life is an opportunity for you to be fully into the resurrected life because where there's death, there's resurrection. Where you die to self, there is new life that comes. Where you are pruned, there is new life. Are you fully in? Do you want to be fully in? Do you want to glow for Christ in a world that needs him so desperately? Every crisis is an opportunity for resurrected life to begin to flow in your life. Women of faith, when Jesus went into that room, they were crying and screaming and loud, and it was just messy in there because in the Jewish days, they had seven days of mourning where they were really loud, and then they had a time of 30 days where it was kind of a quieter morning. They got into it, and the word that the scriptures say is he was moved in his spirit, embrimasthai. He was moved in his spirit. He was angry because there was a clash between insurrection and resurrection. And as he stood as the resurrection, he said, no. Death, stand back. God has come to raise you up. Women of God, I'm just going to say it. It's time to die to some of the petty stuff. I'm very concerned about offenses. I'm very concerned about the offenses in the world. There is an enemy that has unleashed Satan's attack. Everybody's offended. 16% of people today are not speaking to family members because of politics, opposite sides. The church is clashing. I'm here to tell you that we in this space and watching by streaming are moving into a place together as an army where we do not allow offenses to get into our internal space. I have a three-series um, CD, Tearing Down the Fences of the Offenses. Every one of you should get it because I'm here to tell you that everybody sitting in here is offended somehow, has been offended, will be offended. But in this hour, and this is a prophetic word to the church, in this hour, we, church, can no longer be offended if we're going to come fully into the resurrected life. Amen. Prayer teams, come on out.